This is football. I'm Kevin Clark. Deontay Lee from The Athletic joins us momentarily to go through the best coaching performances of the 2023 season. Two coordinators, one coach. I learned a ton from this. Deontay is one of the smartest minds in football media. Really happy to have him on the show. Want to, very quickly, because I want to get to Deontay, um, talk about the report. I guess you call it a report. Um just what Tom Curran said, Tom Curran, one of the best reporters covering team in the league. Um, and I feel like, so the report is that after Germany, the Patriots decided that Belichick won't be their coach next year. There will be a parting of ways. And I didn't feel like this was seismic because I feel like Tom Curran has been, and the Patriot media, it feels like there's been a resignation for, for weeks about this and pro- Germany probably being the time, but like I haven't seen any pushback from the Patriots media where they're like, hey, this is going to get an extra season. And I remember something that uh, actually, you know, Tom said on his show that changed my whole perspective on this. I was on his show and I, and I had said what I've told you guys, you know, in September, which is that Belichick will probably get an extra year longer than he should. And the irony being that Belichick didn't give that grace to anybody who was playing for him or coaching for him. And he would get rid of guys too early. And then Tom said something very interesting, which was, is this the bonus year? Would somebody else have gotten fired under these circumstances in the post-Tom Brady era, when you think about it. And maybe that's true. Maybe the the Joe Judge, Matt Patricia thing was a football felony and he should not be handling young quarterbacks anymore. Maybe all that stuff. Um, but it changed my perspective on things. And I certainly believe Tom is correct. He is as good as, as, as we get in this industry. Um, so now comes what happens to the Patriots next. There's a trap here where... I think the default is, so it's funny. I think everybody says this, it's a cliche at this point. The, the owner always hires the guy, the opposite of the guy that just fired. So if the guy was a hard ass defensive coach, they're always going to go with the chipper young offensive assistant, right? And then chipper young offensive assistant can't lead anybody back to the hard ass defensive coach. Like you just go, the pendulum swings back, back and forth, back and forth. And with Belichick, the default is going to be let's get an offensive coach, let's maximize the quarterback position, whoever that may be, um, and let's let's kind of modernize this, right? And I've heard a bunch of people say that. Peter King said it on this show, and um, I think that we need to change how we even view hiring. Like I did a story a couple of years ago, and there was this firm that consults on hiring with NFL teams, and they basically did a study, and they said the number one coach GM pairing in the league is the coach and the the number two coach and the number two uh, personnel guy at a team that just made a championship game. So like, you know, bills, bills knocking on the doorstep, giants say Joe Shane and Brian Dayball, come on down. You're a guy like that is literally the, the average, whatever median head coaching hire in this league. And the Patriots are probably going to do something like that hiring an OC from a really good team. And we're going to about to get to a couple of those guys. Um, But I just think that the reason Belichick was successful because he was a program builder. And like, I'm not a huge, like obviously Matt rule was a disaster, but the the key there was they were trying to build a program there. It didn't work because Matt rule was trying to like, the reason he was good at recruiting was he was basing stuff off athleticism. Can't really stash guys away on an NFL roster, et cetera, et cetera. It was never going to work. Rule wasn't the guy they thought, but he's back at Nebraska and he's going to do a good job because he understands how athleticism develops. But that's that's neither here nor there. The, the, the idea behind the rule hire was not terrible. It's to, it's to figure out who's going to build the best program. We're going to get to Kyle Shanahan a little bit later. Like the reason Kyle Shanahan's team is not good Sorry, the reason Kyle Shannon's team is good is not because of his schemes. It has a large part to do, but like player development, how they practice, the toughness, emphasis on certain position groups. Like it's a vision, higher vision, not schemes. That would be my my overall takeaway. I know that sounds so stupid and so like sports conferency or like I'm like I'm wearing one of those weird dumbass microphones standing up there and, and they're giving a TED talk. But it's true. Like we don't give any time in head coaching interviews to special teams coaches, right? I just saw a list Tom Pelissero had. Like Chris Horton, special teams coach of the Ravens, is on there. Well, Harbaugh was special teams coach. Um, Belichick spent time, obviously, on the defensive side of the ball, defensive backs, and emphasizing special teams. That's a position where it's a flexible mind every single week because you're using different 
players every week, different schemes, adapting to everything. Just basically have to be doing a fire drill every single week. Like that to me is the type of thing we, we need to give more attention to GM side, like more cap guys who understand how to acquire talent in different ways. Um, Howie was a expert at salary cap. That's, that's why he was able to rise to the ranks so quickly. Um, And so I guess I'm using this Belichick thing as a jumping off point where we're just going to reflexively say, all right, time, time to, time to hire Ben Johnson, but Gerard Mayo on staff, linebackers coach, really well thought of, turned down a bunch of head coaching opportunities. Look at a guy like that. Um, Guys throughout the league who maybe haven't gotten their chance, but would have a vision instead of a really good playbook that's going to give you. I think I think the, the short way to put this is the scheme guys, and Ben Johnson is not just a scheme guy. I think he's really good. But that's a short-term fix in a lot of cases. That's let's get this guy in, three-year, four-year spike because we're max, we're marrying the coach and the 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 scheme here. We're going to the playbook. The playbook is going to fit the players. We're going to have a nice little uptick. If you're not a vision guy, you're not a culture guy, it's not going to last a decade. It's not going to last a decade. And if you're hiring for a decade, that's what you have to nail down on and figure it out. Without further ado, I'm using this all as an intro to promote the best coaching performances of 2023. And that's with Deontay Lee. Here it is. Tickets to the game, merch, meals at iconic restaurants, stays at Caesars Palace. All this can be yours when you bet with Caesars Sportsbook. Win or lose, every bet earns reward credits which you can redeem across the empire. Now, if you haven't started yet, use the code OmahaFull and then place your first bet up to $1,250. If you win, great. You keep those winnings. But if you lose, you get your stake back as a bonus bet. 21 and up only. Offer valid and must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Maine, Maryland, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming only. New users and first $10 wager only must wager with eligible promo code bet amount of qualifying wager return only if wager is settled as a loss. Maximum bonus bet $1,250. Bonus bet expires 14 days after receipt. Tier credits and reward credits will be added to account within seven days after qualifying wager settles. See caesars.com slash promos for full terms. Void where prohibited. Know when to stop before you start. Gambling problem? Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Colorado, Wyoming, Kansas, affiliated with Kansas Crossing Casino, call 1-800-522-4700. Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Louisiana, call 1-877-770-STOP. Licensed through Horseshoe, Bossier City, and Hannah's New Orleans. Maine, call 1-800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org. Michigan, call 1-800-270-7117. Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Ohio, Pennsylvania, affiliated with Harris, Philadelphia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed calling 1-800-GAMBLER, 1-888-427-426-2537 or West Virginia. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. All right, Deontay Lee, staff writer at The Athletic, one of my favorite podcasts. I, I'll, I'll tell a story an embarrassing story up top, which is that you did a pod with you, me, Steven Ruiz two years yep. ago, I want to say. And you didn't yep. know, I, I normally ask my guests to prep for things and, and you didn't know that I didn't want what you were going to say. And so you, you uh-huh. emailed back the, your notes, your form, and uh, basically your answers to my questions. And it was so detailed that I actually like called Ruiz and I was like, we can't pod with this guy, dude. Like he is, he, he has done so much <laughs> pod research. It is like, you've, you've written a dissertation on every single coverage we were going through. It was unbelievable. Obviously I was being facetious. It was amazing to have you on, um, but nobody preps your pods like you. What's going on, man? I'm doing great, man. It's been a while since I've done podcasting work, you know, really just been grinding away on draft stuff with the athletics. So I'm glad to kind of be out of the cave. You know, I can really lock back in on the NFL and the whole deal. And I'm glad to be potting with you because I know we haven't done it in a little while. Real quick. I think was the last, was the most recent one, uh, Brian Flores after his firing? Probably, probably. Which is someone yeah. who, who we're going to bring up a little bit later. Um, we've done right. it. We've done a bunch of good ones. We've had Stephen Ruiz on. We'll probably have Stephen on this show very shortly. Um, but uh, real quick, before we get into the uh, the NFL stuff, you've been doing a lot of college. 
three yes. best quarterbacks in this draft are who? Drake May, Caleb Williams, and Jaden Daniels. Yeah. I'll go Jaden Daniels. Yes. I'll play my yes. hey, Miles, our producer, and I were just talking about this five minutes ago. Five minutes ago. And uh, my take is like, JJ McCarthy's, I know the offense has changed up by Iowa and all this stuff, but like he's putting up 120 yards a game. At least, as Miles said, you can dream with Jaden Daniels and say, look at these numbers, look at these throws. Right. You can, you, there's a proof of concept where he, he absolutely lights it up. And my feeling on this is, and I, there are different prospects and, and whatever, but like I, 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 someone said this about CJ Stroud, where it's like, you see him against Georgia. And he's lighting the world on yep. fire. And it's like, you know what? Georgia's more or less an NFL defense. And he's absolutely dominating them right now. So my guess is right. he can make NFL throws. And it's like, you see Jaden Daniels. Well, it paints yeah, the picture. Yes, exactly. You can see it. There's a proof yeah. of concept. Exactly. I mean, and we've seen quarterbacks like a Jaden Daniels thrive yes. in this version of the NFL. I think that there are a lot of ways that J.J. McCarthy can be successful as an NFL quarterback. I totally agree. And in fairness to him, I know he was a little dinged yep. up from the Penn State game on. So we probably didn't get a clean evaluation of him in the most important games, but that matters. You know, yes. when Jaden Daniels was facing off against Alabama's defense, which might be the best in college football, he looked like the kind of player that should be in the top three consideration for quarterbacks um, in this it's draft. It's like the best so, yards per attempt mark like ever in modern college football history yes. against SEC defenses. That's I'm I'm exactly. I'm intrigued as a prospect. We'll just say we'll just say that. Um, all right, we're getting to best coaching jobs of this year. Two coordinators, one head coach. Um, I just wanted to go through, like, I think that we always do, like, this is the assistant of the year, whatever, but, like, and that's useful and head coach of the year, but, like, the actual job they did this year, the, the granular details of it, what they had, how they maximized it. Um, we're going to go through three. We will start with your first coordinator, Deontay. So my first coordinator is um, a guy who's been an NFL coordinator before, obviously a head coach before at different points. Um, and that's Todd Monk, yep. um, the play call offensive play caller for the Baltimore Ravens. Um, and I think you kind of laid out some of the criteria that I was really trying to dig into. Right. A is were you transformational? Yep. Was there something that didn't exist before you were hired and exists now? B, you know, were you an enhancer? Was there something that was already there that needed to be tapped more into? And you were able to kind of draw that out. Um, and I think that he checks both boxes. Yep. When you look at Baltimore's offense, A, you knew that there's already a dynamic rushing attack because Lamar Jackson's on your roster, right? But the question with Greg Roman for the three years after Lamar won the MVP was, what more can you do to lean into what he can do dynamically? Do you have to have two to three tight ends on the field? Does Pat Ricard have to be on the field all the time? Can you not find more dynamic pass catchers to get the ball to? Um, does the offense always have to be so static? And when I was looking at the data, what you see is like success rate, which is basically, are you staying on schedule? Are you gaining the yards you need to, to be an efficient offense and an EPA, all of their rushing numbers are the same and they're not using these two tight end right. sets or jumbo personnel anywhere near as often. So what that tells me is that's an offensive coordinator who can walk in and say, all right, our best threat is the fact that Lamar Jackson's legs can be an explosive play on demand at any point in time. We don't have to have the largest bodies on the football field in order to access an efficient and explosive running game. We can use the spread and use the threat of Lamar to make that happen. And that's what you're seeing statistically. And then when you watch the film for the passing game stuff, yep. which is what he was really hired for, is to evolve the passing game. I think the biggest difference between what you see in that offense now and what we saw before is guys are catching the ball on the move, yep. right? You look at the completions to a Rashad Bateman, to a Zay Flowers, to an Odell Beckham, and it's slant routes, it's dig routes, it's, you know, these deep corners, these, you know, curl routes where there's a bunch of space where guys can catch the ball, square up, and go get yards after the catch. I think this is the biggest percentage of Lamar Jackson's yardage that has been gained after the catch in his career, mm. or at least since he won MVP. That says a lot. And you look at the distribution of targets. This is the most that outside receivers have been targeted since he's been a starting quarterback in the NFL. So what does that tell you? That tells you that he was always capable of these things. It just wasn't emphasized enough. And that's where a play caller's value, I think, is really what it's derived from, is that you're able to identify these things that weren't happening before, and you have the belief and confidence in your players that they can go execute it. And that's why Baltimore looks so lethal offensively at times. So I was looking at Munkin, too. Third in the NFL in yards per play. Only three teams in the NFL with, with non-offensive head coaches 
um, have that level or in the top 10 of yards per attempt. The Ravens are by mm-hmm. far number one in that category as far as having an offensive play right. caller who's not the head coach. Um, obviously, we, we know who's going to lead the league in, in yards per attempt every single year. It's going to be Shanahan guys and and, and spread yeah. guys, guys who are head coaches. And then there's Todd Munkin. Um, right. Isaiah likely was open by 150 yards on Sunday. Like we saw that over and over and over again. Right. Odell Beckham was open a ton. Um, it's it, it's repeatable and it's what Le, it, it's maximized Lamar. Um, some of his routes, and I was looking at some of the the film study stuff over the week, Deontay, and it's like he goes empty and he they'll do a bunch of double moves. Like there's a lot of trust put on that offensive line yes. and and Lamar Jackson to make those throws. Is this the best team in football? Or sorry, excuse me, let me rephrase that. Is this the best team in the AFC? This is definitely the best team in the AFC as it stands right now. And I would say if you're making a short list of teams that can win the Super Bowl, they've got to be right there with their San Francisco's, with their Dallas's and those types of teams. They're right there in that mix. Yeah, completely agree. Um, I I just don't – it was funny because I I did a power ranking of the teams that win the Super Bowl, and I just found myself weirdly discounting the Ravens over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. It's been like, well, cause they've, they've laid some eggs. Like they, they've, they've laid some eggs right. and like Barnwell, I've gone back and forth on this where he, Barnwell's big thing is, well, they've, when they lose, they beat themselves. So it's okay. And I'm like, wait, is that a good thing that they every right. once a month they have a total implosion? And it's yes. kind of like, how do yes. you, how do you view that? Um, but I, at this point with the way the dolphins are trending with injury um, with, with, with what we just saw Monday night, like, if I had to put any money and I wouldn't on uh, on on a, an AFC team to win the Super Bowl, it would definitely be the Ravens right now. I agree. And I think that one of the reasons why I feel so confident in them is that there are ways that they can win games that they really haven't leaned into yet. Yeah. Right? Like we still haven't had the game where Lamar had 16 carries right. and they just decided, hey, we can't get guys open or teams are playing so much too deep shells or we're not getting enough moving on the interior. All right, Lamar, ball's in your hands. Right. You go make the plays for us. They haven't had to do that. They haven't really had to push the ball as vertically as they could. Because like you said, you can watch the film and see, oh, Rashad Bateman has a guy beat on a go route. (laughs) They just don't throw it because other guys are wide ass open too. You know, and I think that when you see those things, not only are you seeing a healthy offense, you're seeing all the ways that they can evolve on the fly and then over a long stretch of time if they're able to keep Todd Munkin past this year. I'll say this about Todd Munkin. Obviously, Georgia has absolute studs on all 22 positions on that field, but he won two national championships with Stetson Bennett. And like that, that requires, like you see that the Brock Bowers throwback and the natty, like he was putting some nasty plays in there. And I understand they always had a talent advantage, except the the, the two times a year in Stetson's case that they played Alabama. Um, But I just, it takes, that's a a good coaching job to get Stetson Bennett, those sort of throws and, and to, to, to utilize those mismatches. There are coaches who could not do that, by the way. I mean, Isaiah, you brought up Isaiah Likely. When Greg Roman was here, Isaiah Likely was a non-factor in this offense, you know, and it's completely different now. You find ways to use guys. Not having Mark Andrews for a long stretch of the year. If this was a Greg Roman offense, you would probably be putting this offensive season in the tank because there will be too much on Lamar's shoulders to create, you know, explosive plays or get them the 10 to 15 yard chunk plays that they need. Now they're just like, all right, more Zay Flowers in. More screens, yep. more out, more throws outside to Rashad Bateman. You know, they're able to just tap into all these different things, and they still have that ability when they need to to put two tight ends on the field, to put Pat Ricard on the field, and they can mash you when they need to mash you. And now we're learning that this is as capable a spread-out offense as there is in the NFL as well. All right, my offensive coordinator is Bobby Slowick, someone who I know you have notes on, former PFF mm-hmm. employee – which yes, sir. we know a lot of PFF employees and none of them are as good at calling plays as, as Bobby Slower. <laughs> Especially um, since I'm not there. Yeah, either. exactly. When you were there, love you, love you, Seth. when you were there, it was all sorts of, all sorts of ball knowing. And now it's just Seth Galena exactly. who just doesn't know anything. He exactly. just drags the, the entire <laughs> IQ of the place down. Um, no, it, it, it's, it's fascinating to see. And, and I was, I think Will Brinson and I were joking about this, like, how deep the Shanahan tree goes. And at what point is it like, yeah. oh, we're going to take this random tight ends coach from the Dolphins. At what point is it like, you know what? We're at diminishing returns. Let's go somewhere else, right? We're not right. there yet because Bobby Slowick right. is a guy who is obviously really bright. Um, he understands the motion part of it. He understands how to maximize CJ Stroud. Obviously, the success they've had, we talk about yep. you know, defensive head coaches. Tamiko Ryan's a, a stud head coach, but he's on the defensive side of the yes. ball. Slowick has ownership over it. Um, when... Stroud was hired. I remember seeing someone 
point out how amazing Stroud was when Ohio State used motion. And I that, that mm-hmm. was in my head, and I'm just thinking, man, this could really work. This could really work, and and it has in a really incredible way. Um, I think Slowick is is going to be a head coach sooner rather than later. I mean, that's the kind of thing we've talked about this before, Deontay, right. where it's like the downside of having offensive head coaches. If you have a good offensive head coach, or excuse me, a good offensive coordinator, you immediately lose him unless you he's like ninety. Him, yeah. Like that's we. They right. just hired Tom Moore. The 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 you know the yes. guy <laughs> just like keep Tom. Tom Moore is the one guy they're not going to hire away. Remember they will if Tom. Right. Them, if Tom Moore puts up forty points a game with some team, he will get hired. Age. I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to. How old is Tom? I'm looking it up. Tom Moore is uh, 85 years old, and he is uh, okay. still an offensive consultant for Tampa Bay Bucks. So who knows? You right. know what? They, they. This is an offensive league. Um, but anyway, so Slowick has, has really impressed me. I know you have a bunch of notes. Um, the most impressive mm-hmm. thing about Bobby Slowick and what the Texans have done on offense has been what? To me, it's the fact that they've turned these wide receivers into something. Yeah. That that's. That to me has kind of been the hallmark, you know, and I still think there are ways in which, you know, obviously losing CJ Stroud past this past Sunday was a big reason why the offense stalled out. But even in times where I think they're having difficulties on a drive to drive basis, I think that the way that they're able to get more space for guys within a game speaks to Bobby Slowick's understanding of the personnel that he has. Right. And that's that I think has been the kind of the calling card of Houston's offense is that you're able to get things out of Nico Collins. You're able to find a role for a John Mechie. You're able to find ways to use a Tank Dell who coming into the league, I will admit I was I was almost out on because I just didn't see an avenue for a guy of that size to be productive, especially right away in the NFL. And they found ways to be able to utilize the speed and quickness that he has without exposing him to the things that make him um, a weaker receiver. Uh, One of the things that I think really uh, impressed me or one of the things that kind of stood out to me is they get all of these loaded boxes. They don't get a ton of cover one, even though, you know, they don't have the most talented receiving group. And they're not the greatest at running the ball, right. right? If you look at EPA and success rate and yards per rush and all of that, they rank around the bottom in the league, right? Bottom 10 in almost all those metrics. But teams still honor the fact that they can get into these heavier personnel sets, these condensed alignments where all these wide receivers are close to the ball. And there are only certain ways that you can defend it. Mm-hmm. And now that opens up the game for a CJ Stroud. And that's been impressive to me as well. Like, I said the same thing with Todd Munkin just a second ago, but it's like the healthy, a healthy foundation, right? Like you can see the skeleton of an offense that can continue to become dominant in the league because you have the quarterback and because you have this offensive system that creates easy throws for quarterbacks and then easy opportunities to get receptions for receivers. Um, and that, that's been the thing that stands out the most to me. Completely agree. Um, the, a couple things about it. Number one is even though the Texans accelerated their timeline by getting picks two and three of the draft and pushing their chips in yep. for Will Anderson, that don't confuse that with them being ready to compete now. Like the, this is right. early. They don't have the roster to have this sort of performance from CJ Stroud. Like if they did see Stroud was going to be this good, they would have, you know, they would have built the roster even differently. And so there's exactly. holes on the roster. It, this is the worst they're going to be. And they're still really exactly. good. And, and you just right. look at some of their stuff. I mean, they've, they have injuries on the offensive side of the offensive line. Um, obviously tank Dell going down the wide receiving core could use an upgrade in general. Like th- that's a special thing to me is like, this is, I, I, it's so rare. We have so many flashes in the pan, like Daniel Jones last year, where yep. you're just like, oh, okay, buddy. And, and, and for me, I don't mean as a player, I mean as a team, the Giants. Like we knew right. that that wasn't sustainable. And to me, when you see a team like this Texans team, it's like, oh, this is not only is it something, it's building towards something else. And that I think is the most important thing right. about what's going on in Houston right now. 100%. And like you said, if this offensive line can get healthy, continue to build continuity, and they can add a little bit more on the interior, what if they end up with a real run game yeah. next season? And you know you have a quarterback that not only can work within the structure, but has really been, I think, most impressive in what he can create with his legs, what he can do in terms of extending plays, making throws outside of his frame, you know, being able to handle pressure and all these things. Now you've got a quarterback where you can say, hey, third down, we don't have to have the perfect play call. CJ, I'm giving you the routes that you like. Go figure it out. I trust you to be able to go make the play. That's an extremely valuable piece of this. And now with having an offensive coordinator who understands, all right, if we get into condensed sets, defenses have to check their coverages. There's only certain things they can do. If we put a fullback on the field, we know we're dictating the kind of personnel we're going to see 
and the kind of coverage shell we're going to get. So now we can attack these intermediate areas. I think that Houston's like second in air yards per attempt this year. What about this offense would tell you that they will be pushing the ball down the field if you're just looking at the depth chart? There's nothing there, right? right? Not to say that these guys can't work ever going to be good players or weren't positive contributors at different points in time. But you wouldn't say, hey, a team that was really bad on offense before that didn't really do anything besides add a rookie quarterback would all of a sudden have this extremely efficient and explosive passing game. The only way that happens is if you have an offensive coordinator that comes from a foundation like the Shanahan coaching tree and understands all the ways that you can manipulate a defense and how to sequence plays in a way that keeps your offense on schedule and keeps um, every part of the field open to you. By the way, the Panthers also push the ball down the field, but with different results. I'll leave it at that. Exactly. I will. We will not do Bryce yeah. Young again. Um, <laughs> all right. Your defensive coordinator is somebody I had on my list too, but we'll just do it together. You have the floor. Yep. Brian Flores is my guy. You know, like I said, the last time we were all on a pod together was talking about his dismissal from Miami and and all the fallout there. Obviously spends a little bit of time kind of marinating in, um, in Pittsburgh, picks up a few things in terms of zone coverages and different ways to pressure and how you can maybe manipulate offenses differently. And then he gets to Minnesota and you kind of get to see all these things that he's learned from Bill Mm -hmm. Belichick from working under Mike Tomlin. And I guess, the way that I would frame it is almost like with the question, who is the who are the good defensive players in Minnesota right now? <laughs> well, uh, it depends on your definition of good. There's some guys who have been exactly. good. Um, there's right. some guys that maybe <laughs> will be good. But the draft is right. the draft picks have been largely disappointment to, to paint with a, a broad brush. Um, you still have right. Harrison Smith there, but this is a Brian Flores defense. And with that now, knowing that we're not talking about a team that's got, you know, some dominant 12, 13, 14 sack guy and maybe a corner that's got, um, you know, great turnover, who's forcing a bunch of turnovers or just producing on the ball. You're still talking about a defense that's top 10 in EPA versus a run versus a pass. They've been good on third down. They've been good in the red zone, all these things. And now you have to really dig into what he's doing to make this happen. And the thing that kind of cracked me up is they're dead last in four-man rushes, but number one in the league in three-man rushes and six or more. Mm. So now if you're an offensive coordinator watching film, you're rewinding every snap just to say like, who's coming and who's not. Exactly right. Exactly right. What the heck am I looking at right now? How did this guy go from the line of skirmish to dropping to a deep half? Like it, it's insane to me. I always have to scrub back and say, okay, Harrison Smith is here on the side of the tight end. It looks like he's about to blitz, but he just like turned his back and sprinted and now they're playing cover two over here. Okay. This is cover zero. They gave it the same look, but now it's not cover zero. It's cover two. And they're able to affect quarterbacks in that way without having a high pressure rate, without getting a ton of sacks, because there's just so much stress on the pre-snap picture. That's an impressive thing to do as a defensive coordinator, knowing you're probably going to be at a talent disadvantage on a week-by-week basis and still able to hold these offenses away from generating explosive plays and always having to win on third down. That's an impressive feature for a guy like Brian Flores and why I think he should be in consideration again for head coaching jobs in the near future. So I completely agree. Um, Kevin Seifert did a really good piece laying out what this defense is. And it's essentially a defense that's never been tried before at the NFL level. There are influences, I don't know if you saw this, of uh, what Flores said is basically the Pat, Pat Narduzzi pit uh, defense, which is not yep. something I expected to be influential at the NFL level. But here we are. Um, as you said, specializing in, obviously, zone. Six, I think 70% of their plays are zone, which is by far the, the yep. widest margin in football. And then the blitz, as you said, and the three-man rush. And so when you combine all of those things, people are just like, what is this? What the hell is this? And it's aggression. It's, um, and I kind of feel like this is, this is maybe a wild thing to say, but like, once you've been fired as a head coach, I kind of feel like you say like, you know what I've got, I'm just going to play the style of ball I want to play. And like, he's got a job in this league for life, no matter what, just because he's a really good coach, right. he's established himself, but like, he's got to get, he's got to, he's got to any coordinator who's been fired has to, to sort of reapply for the job as head coach. Right. And, right. and I believe he right. should get it, but like you do that with your schemes and him going right. the way he, the, him putting this defense together has been frankly a masterclass. And if I want a defensive 
organization, if I want um, toughness, if I want aggression, like Brian Flores is the coach for that. I've, I've just been, I've been so impressed. 100%. And you referencing the Pat Narduzzi thing, a theoretically what Pat Narduzzi does at the college level from a theoretical basis should not work in the yeah. NFL because the players are too good. Right. You, you're not supposed yeah. to be able to play all this aggressive with all this aggression and crowding the line of scrimmage and playing these tight zone yeah. coverages and, you know, jumping routes or trying to anticipate where the run game is going and blitzing the way you do. That's not supposed to work in the NFL because the offensive play callers and quarterbacks are supposed to be able to blow you up. But again, I think that it speaks to Brian Flores's understanding of what the modern offense is trying to do. Right. There are a lot of teams who like to pressure and it's kind of like killer be killed football. Right. We're either going to knock the quarterback out or we're going to give up a 15 yard game. <laughs> and there's really not a whole lot of in between. Right. But you see when you watch their games. All right. They're bringing pressure. It's not getting home. So why is a quarterback just checking the ball down? <laughs> and it's because the quarterback has no idea between who, which four guys or five guys or six right. guys or maybe three guys are coming and then what the cover shell is going to be behind it. So that that to me is extremely impressive. And I think it shows a willingness to grow that, A, you don't often see from defensive guys. Yep. B, you don't see from guys off the Bill Belichick three, tree. Like a lot of their trappings is they leave New England and they just try to recreate New England from a personnel perspective and a philosophical perspective, and it doesn't work that way. And then a guy that's able to go borrow – from people that he does not have some kind of natural connection with, yep. right? That, that's a hallmark of a good coach, of a coach that understands that the game moves and it's a living, breathing thing, and your philosophies and your approach to the game has to be living and breathing and kind. That's an impressive uh, feature for Brian Flores and something I don't know that I would have anticipated before he got this gig in Minnesota. The defensive flexibility thing you mentioned is, is so underrated because – like I remember, I think it was Blood, Sweat, and Chalk. There's a great book by Tim Layden about the history of, of schemes, mm-hmm. basically. And in it, I think Belichick says, he's talking about Dick LeBeau. And he's just like, mm-hmm. he's like, the Steelers' defense didn't change for 40 years. He's like, they're just doing this. Yeah. And because it works. Like, well, there's no reason to have those wrinkles. There's no reason. I mean, listen, you can add a pressure here, a pressure there. But, like, the right. actual fundamentals of the defense did not change from the Steel right. Curtain era until, like, you know, 2000. Four. You know, like like Ben Roethlisberger right. was looking across the field, seeing the same defense Terry Bradshaw did. Right. And, exactly. and, and I think that the ability to have something that works, which is the Belichick system, but still to innovate off of that is actually shows a, a coaching humility that, that I think is, is probably rare on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And it, it's I think, again, like it just speaks to it speaks to an understanding of where he where he was good at and what he needed to improve, yep. right? Even in Miami, he, they were dominant as a blitzing team. And I thought that they were able to fast track a lot of the young defensive players that were there, right? You think about um, a Javon Holland. You think about what they were able to do with Xavier Howard. You think about what they were able to get out of uh, – why am I forgetting the defensive tackle's name right now? Um, but the, in Miami? Played at Alabama. Yes, I played it out there. Not uh, Chris or Clemson. Yeah, Christian uh, Wilkins. Christian Wilkins. Wilkins. No, I knew. Yeah, he, like, I knew. I knew you were saying Wilkins, and I was like, "Wait, is he going to Alabama?" Okay, yeah, Christian Wilkins. Yeah, exactly. I'm. Th- yeah, so uh, you think about all the backfield production they were able to get out of those guys, and that leaning into that aggression, yep. and now you just add layers. It's adding layers. Todd Munkin is a guy. I think that fits that description we were talking about on the offensive end. You have an idea of what you like. You you go to a place and you understand what you've got and whether or not the things you like matches with what you have. And now you have all this banked information and things that you've been tinkering around with or you've been watching at practice when it's not your responsibility to call the defense and saying, oh, I wouldn't have played this that way, but this worked. Let's go investigate why these things work all right, I can find a way to implement that myself. Um, And I think that, you know, as long as they're able to keep them, because, you know, obviously defensive play caller gets fired. It usually takes a little bit of time before teams warm up again to wanting to hire you as a head coach. So I'm I'm really eager to see what Kevin O'Connell and Brian Flores can do as a tandem together if they're able to keep him around for a while. Because I do think that guys are going to continue to get better and they're going to have an opportunity to add some things on um, as far as young defensive pieces and guys that can contribute. Okay, so speaking of offenses have no, having no idea what the hell is going on, I want to bring up another Ravens <laughs> coordinator, Mike McDonald. So I was talking to someone in the league recently 
someone league adjacent, mm-hmm. I guess I would say. Um, someone who knows ball. And they were saying the new pipeline, especially on the defensive side of the ball, is think about all the guys who are in the hardball to hardball, that 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 train line, you know, from yep. Baltimore to Ann mm-hmm. Arbor. And I think Jesse Minter yep. right now is the DC yep. in, in Ann Arbor. Yep. Mike McDonald is going to be a head coach in probably two months. There's just a lot of defensive minds. And frankly, it's a pretty good system. And base, if anybody doesn't know what it is, basically uh, the Ravens uh, have been sending coaches in to, to, to Ann Arbor to get bigger experience than they normally would. Uh, Mike McDonald went to Michigan, I think, for just one year, get defensive play calling experience, come back to the NFL and thrive. Um, and I think right. that that's that if you sort of understand what kind of the deal is going into that, that's really, really, really valuable. So Jesse Minter goes from DB's coach during uh, in 2020 with the Ravens, one year at Vanderbilt, immediately becomes DC at Michigan, and he's, yep. he's been he's been the interim head coach for for a little bit here as well. Um, but like right. to get that kind of experience that quickly and go from, I mean, he's going to go from DB's coach. He's 40 years old. He's going from DB's coach to, I mean. I'm just guessing, but like if you, the trajectory right. continues, he's probably going to be DC in Baltimore within four years of that. Right. And so like, that's All a right. pretty damn good system. Um, and so I, I, I love Mike McDonald's pressure packages. I love, I love them in mm-hmm. college. I really love them in college because I mean, God, the last thing college quarterbacks want to see is an exotic pressure. That's the last thing yes. they want to see. And so I loved what he was able to do there. I love how they can, they, they confuse everybody post snap. Um, obviously the NFL level, that's still working. Um, Mike McDonald was impressed you with what Deontay? I think it's a modern adaption of things that existed beforehand. Yep. So you kind of mentioned that Harbaugh to Harbaugh pipeline. Well, if we look at it from John's perspective and his time in Baltimore, a lot of the institutional things that existed when he got that job came from Rex Ryan. Mm-hmm. And if you're looking at what Baltimore's defense is today, it's basically a modern adaptation of what Rex Ryan was doing for decades, what the Ryan family has been yep. doing since for hour, however long, you know, the wildest blitzes the, at the wildest times. Exactly. Exactly. And what ran, what ran Rob out of the league, what ran Rex out of the league, what <laughs> ran buddy out of the league was offenses adjusting to things that they had been doing for years upon years upon years without necessarily adjusting or having the next answer. Mike McDonald, you know, I know Dominique talks about this all the time with DB play. I know he talked about it on your yeah. show with DB play with, about guys who grow up yep. in the spread era, yep. who are one with that, who don't know another style of football. I think Mike McDonald as a play caller is kind of a good analogy to what he's talking about with DBs that are in the NFL now. Mm-hmm. You're, you are now experienced with teams always being spread, mm-hmm. always being an 11 personnel, always being efficient with quick game, you know, and having an understanding of the RPO game and all these different in-breaking routes and creating all these layers in the passing game and teams being smarter about their pass protections, mm-hmm. right? Rex Ryan could draw up exotic pressures just 10 to 15 years ago because he knew most of the guys who learned their protections were borrowing it from guys who made up the protections in the 70s and 80s. Mm-hmm. And it just didn't apply to the style of football that um, Rex Ryan was throwing at them. So now this is just kind of like the adjustment to the adjustment, right? The counterpunch for the counterpunch. And that's why those exotic pressures look so good on third down, right? Is that you're able to borrow those old things. And now it's Patrick Queen yep. can be the pressure guy. You know, Roquan Smith now is a guy dropping in the coverage, right? I, I love, I loved watching um, a clip at the beginning of this year of Roquan and Ray Lewis talking to one another. And you kind of watch, you start thinking about the games and it's okay. An undersized linebacker that fit an era of a generation ago mm-hmm. versus an undersized linebacker fitting today's meta. And what Roquan can do to manipulate space in that intermediate area, take away throwing windows for quarterbacks is a huge piece of what makes his defense successful. And I think it speaks to Mike McDonald having a very clear vision and understanding that in today's in today's uh, NFL, having a dominant corner helps. Having dominant pass rush helps. But what we really need are bodies at every layer of this defense that can get in the quarterback's way, that can cause hesitation. They're not doing anything revolutionary in terms of coverage shells or, yeah. you know, the kind of defensive fronts and different packages we're seeing. All this stuff has existed 
years upon years upon years. It's just understanding, okay, Kyle Hamilton, here's where you're good as a deep safety. Here's where you're good as a slot defender. All right, Roquan, this is what you can do from depth. This is what you can do from the line of scrimmage. Patrick Queen, I talk with uh, Mina Kimes all the time about this. Patrick Queen, if you would have asked me two years ago, I thought he was on his way to becoming a free agent. You know, they don't pick up his fifth-year option. He's not the first-round pick that they thought they were getting. He's probably not going to last. You bring Roquan Smith and Mike McDonald in, and now he's got a great role. So, again, being transformational, taking players that you might not have thought much of and putting them in positions where – Every part of the strengths of their game is all that you're really asking them to do, and now you get to see them be productive. That's been the hallmark of Baltimore's defense under Mike McDonald. I have a um, – I unveiled this take to a couple people this week. I'm now a linebacker guy. Like, I, we, we right. moved way too far away from linebackers. That's right. And I was like, oh, you're really going to pay C.J. Mosley that much money? Shut up. Good players are good players. Like Roquan, exactly. oh, you're really going to give up that much for Roquan Smith? Oh, you're, you're like, we can't all be defensive ends, okay? And we can't all, right. like, and, and, and like, yeah, the ideal would be to have Aaron Donald in the middle of the line affecting the game and right. getting upfield and, and just sucking up an entire offensive line. That'd be great. Right. Uh, uh, those of us in the real world need a defensive ecosystem <laughs> yes. Yes. That, can, that can get us to where we need to go. And linebackers are right. a huge part of that. I am, I have, I, I just, I, I'm a linebacker guy. That's it. I'll leave it at that. I love, I love that. Love to hear that. As a linebacker himself, I love to hear it. All right. More with Deontay after this. All right. Moment of truth. Uh, our head coaches, the best head coaching jobs this year. Deontay Lee, you have the floor. This, to, this is not about stats. This is strictly about structure and philosophy and i know there are going to be a lot of people who listen to your show and they're going to hear this name and they're going to be like here we go again with this when is it going to stop i'm sorry guys the answer is kyle shanahan Mm. or somebody off the kyle shanahan tree Mm. and i it's of course it's awesome that he's got all the talent and, you know, you've got a Christian McCaffrey, that you've got a Brandon IU, that you've got a George Kittle, that you have a Trent Williams, all guys that are probably in the top five to ten in their, you know, in their respective roles um, on this offense. But you look at the way that he's using guys. I watch the routes that he puts Christian McCaffrey on. And I, it, what it makes me think about is prime Alvin Kamara in Sean mm-hmm. Payton's offense. And it's like, whoa, well, now you get to go borrow from a whole different phase in the passing game that did not exist before, right? I look at George Kittle, and you see him isolated as a wide receiver at times. You see him in the slot running slants or option routes. And I'm like, okay, that's how Travis Kelsey got used when it was him and Tyree Kill, mm-hmm. right? And you could use Tyree Kill on one side, running vertically, Travis Kelsey on the opposite side, running these one-on-one routes, and a defense cannot possibly, unless you are rushing five and dropping nine, which is obviously illegal, <laughs> there's no way to defend all the things you're going to see um, from an offense that can employ guys that way. You look at Brandon Ayuk and what he can do as a yak threat, what he can do on in-breaking routes, how he can take the top off of defenses, Kyle Juszczyk and what he can do as a guy that can be anywhere from the slot to outside to motioning in and being a fullback, being a second tight end. What do you do with an offense that has that talent from a defensive perspective? The Eagles game to me, I think, was the best look at what separates a guy like Kyle Shanahan from a lot of the field. Mm -hmm. You come out with two drives, you're trying to run your base stuff, your outside zones, your toss plays, Mm -hmm. get to the perimeter. Clearly, Philadelphia walked into the week saying, you can't have the edge on us, so you get two quick three and outs. And the immediate adjustment is, all right, let's condense our sets, and now we're just going to run right at the middle of this defense. And we want to see if these linebackers can actually go fit these gaps and can go make tackles with Christian McCaffrey in space. And the answer was no. And now you've got to devote more resources. So now you've got five guys on the line of scrimmage. And Kyle Shanahan can go to what is, quote, unquote, an easy answer, but not an answer that every coach can access, which is the play action game. And now now you're forcing a defense to get depth. And now you can get back to running the ball. And when the defense stays deep or stays trying to take away these intermediate passes on passing downs, you have a Christian McCaffrey that can run these option routes and wheel routes on linebackers. Right. And that's why, to me, they are once again in the pole position or at worst in the top three 
for teams that can win the Super Bowl this year. And it's because he, he has an innate understanding of defenses can only do certain things to me based on what I'm showing them. And I have the guys and the play styles and the play calls specifically to be able to exploit everything that we need to exploit to be successful offensively. And he's doing this with the guy that's probably at best a league average quarterback. Okay, that was perfect. Thank you. The other thing is they have better players than everybody else, but most of those players were developed by Kyle Shanahan and his staff yes. or acquired yes. with some, with a vision in mind. And like, right. I, 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 not to go over like, you know, my the glory days of writing, but like I spent time with George Kittle where he, he basically said that their tight ends coach, Alan Embry taught him how to break tackles and taught him right. that mentality. He did not have that mentality at Iowa. If he did the things that he does in San Francisco at Iowa, he would not have been available in the mid rounds. He would have gone exactly with the 11th overall pick was set to some team. Right. Right. And so I just think that we, we look at it and we say, well, he's able to do this because of this. Like, yeah, well, guess what? Well, guess who has basically had personnel control since he left Atlanta six years ago, Kyle Shanahan. Right. And like John Lynch is really good at his job, but Shanahan has the vision of it. So it's like, I just think it's real. And they're not the only team that's right. star heavy. Right. That's the other thing. Right. This is not the only team I can say, hey, you guys are loaded on a particular side of the ball. Right. We watch Los Angeles. We also we watch the Chargers every year, get to the opening week of the season, and we look at the depth chart and say, they've got everything. You got a you got a big body wide receiver. You got a slot receiver. You've got the incredible quarterback. You've got a running back that can run the ball and catch the ball out the backfield. And we inevitably in, end up in mid-November to early December. And the only conversation we can have about that team is what's wrong. The only time we ever have a conversation about what's wrong with this offense is if the quarterback's not delivering yep. the ball where it needs to go. Yep. Um, finally, two media guys talk about Kyle Shanahan. Um, right. <laughs> all right. So I, I actually want to – I was, I'm going to do McVeigh. Just give me a second on McVeigh, listener. Yeah. But uh, well, we can't do this without talking about Mike McDaniel. Like Mike McDaniel, right. the coaching job he's done, the, the total 180 as a franchise the Dolphins have done. And I, again, by the way, like we talk about, okay, well, they have Tyree Kelly unlocks everything. Well, guess who went out and had the vision? And like the story I think everybody's heard by now that McDaniel was told, I think was mm-hmm. on Levitard, where basically they were like, mm-hmm. Tyree kills available. Okay. Give him every, give him 20 first round picks. Like he knew, and it's not like he inherited this and the dolphins situation he inherited was pretty bleak. And, 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 and the quarterback situation he inherited was pretty bleak. And he turned to, into for long stretches of the season, a guy who played an MVP level, he will not win MVP. Um, I would not make that argument, but you look at his yards per attempt, you look at, and this is the most important thing to me. I know it's not smoke and mirrors because, He's good against every coverage. He's good again with every route. Like I, I shared a stat, I think it was on Sunday, that Tyreek Hill leads the NFL in go routes and post routes, both explosive routes. But then right. he he leads it by 100 yards over anybody else at any other route. Like they are better at running explosive plays than anybody is at anything in football. And like yeah. that to me is the most special part about it. Two different routes. Um, beyond that, uh, I want to talk about McVay because – Everyone thought he was tanking. Everyone thought that the defense, and this is partially true, had no talent and that they were paying for the crimes of this, the, the salary cap all-in era. And right. Kevin Demoff wrote a letter saying, we're going to take a step back. And I think people thought, first of all, I, this is a crazy thing to say, but there are people involved, not involved, but like people who know the Shanahan system well. And mm-hmm. and then when I said, hey, the Rams are going to tank they're going to go out and get Caleb Williams, Drake May. It's like, are we sure that like these guys even want rookie quarterbacks? You know, like, like they don't, right. that's not the way they think they want their quarterback, you know? And so like right. getting JJ McCarthy might not appeal to some of these guys. Maybe it will, maybe it won't, mm-hmm. but that's not their long-term vision is to get one of these guys, right? Like, I mean, I know they fantasize about certain guys. Like I remember uh, McDaniel talking about Aaron Rodgers and like how you, how you, yep. how you would fantasize about, about having Aaron Rodgers in the system. I'm just saying that we sometimes put, um, we put ideas into guys' heads sometimes. We, oh, of course, Sean McVay yeah. wants these guys. Like maybe he wants Stafford for the next five years and work on other parts of the right. team. Like Stafford is throwing really, really, really well, and they'll figure out the quarterback thing when it comes to it. But anyway, all this to say is that we all counted Sean McVay out, and we all thought he was a scheme lord who, was, who wasn't going to be able to do the things he wants to do. And what actually happened yeah. is that he's a badass coach who's a leader of men, 
who understands football character and motivation and all those things on top of the coaching stuff and the scheme stuff. And I couldn't be more impressed. It's to your point, there was no argument, you know, like Jordan Rodriguez is a really good friend of mine. Yeah. Right. So I talk to her almost every off season, just about like what the state of the Rams are at. And even with her, like you could kind of hear in talking with her, that kind of tinge of uncertainty of like, they seem to be really excited and the mood is much better now than it was this time last yeah. year. And they're talking about being developers and really, you know, um, trying to encourage the youth on this roster to step up and play beyond their, you know, perceived capabilities and all these things. And we'll just see how it goes. And then I look up and it's like, this is probably, you know, <laughs> I, I use these terms like who's the best bad team right. and who's the worst good right, team. Right, right, right. Like looking at roster construction, this is like the best bad roster yes. in the NFL because of what they're able to draw out of this offense and defense. Yes. You look at Cooper Cup and it's like, okay, you're starting to see, I think, a lot of the amount of contact that he's taken. The attrition, I think, kind of gets to him a little bit. We don't see him pop open as often as he used to when he was yeah. absolutely at his peak. And he's still productive. So don't get me wrong, he's still productive. But it doesn't look the way it did in 2020 and 2021 and 2019. Okay, that's fine because we, we can develop a Puka Nakua. Yeah. And that goes back to what we were saying about Kyle Shanahan. You know, you look at a Brandon Ayuk in his system. From the doghouse to being one of the better receivers in the NFL, Puka Nakua is able to step in. A decent receiver, got good size, can do a little bit of everything, but not particularly great at any one thing. And he's looking like the most, one of the more productive receivers in football to open the, you know, the first half of the year. You look at, you know, I, I know I tweeted about it. You look at the evolution of what they do in the run game. Mm -hmm. It used to be Todd Gurley, outside zone, two tight yep. ends, jet motion with Robert Woods, using him almost like a fullback. And then that all leaves and you go totally spread out. And then it's like draws and screens and all this extension of the run game stuff at the end of Jared Goff's tenure and the beginning of Matt Stafford's tenure. And then he's able to take a step back and say, hey, let's do something completely different yep. outside of the calling card of what we believe the Shanahan offense to be. We'll keep some big bodies and we'll keep some of our spread philosophies, but let's start running downhill because that's what fits our guys and that's what defenses are daring us to do. And they've been one of the more efficient run games in football doing so. And they still are able to get something out of Matt Stafford, who at different points last year, and I, I'm sure you felt the same way, you're watching him on TV yeah. like, dude, I don't know how much longer this arm is going to stay attached to the body. <laughs> this looks like it hurts. <laughs> Every throw looked like it hurt at different points of the year last year. Hey, so Stafford, it, it's so impressive. If Stafford is – sustainably good and I, going forward I, post injury. I mean, obviously he's been an NFL great right. for a long time that changes the whole calculus about this team. Cause they can just say, all right, we've yep. got the biggest problem in football and sports solved. We can work on other stuff and improve the, the talent on that defense and all that stuff. They have the first round picks going forward. They did not uh, trade the, for Brian Burns, even though they Lord knows yes. they tried <laughs> this time last year, um, 14 months ago. Um, but, but, but that's it. Deontay, we've taken enough of your time. Thank you so much for coming on this show. We'll see you soon, buddy. Thank you, Kevin, man. I can't wait to talk to you again. Awesome. Thanks, man. That was great.